Numbers are great. We all love them and we all want them to be higher. On Twitter, we look for the number of followers, likes and retweets. On Facebook, it's the amount of group members, page followers, friends. Even on LinkedIn, we all want to have that 500 plus connections link in our bio. We think that by having these numbers as high as possible, that we must be succeeding. But my guest today says these are not the metrics we should be striving for. You can use vanity metrics, but don't focus on them too much. Try to use them as part of a larger picture and give you directional feedback. You might find that a Facebook fan might be worth two or three times more than a Twitter follower. Martin Ochwat first started dabbling in online marketing in 2005, selling digital video game characters on eBay. Martin has worked for and set up his own tech companies and now uses his experience to advise heads of marketing and entrepreneurs on growing their businesses. He has recently written an article for Content Marketing Institute where he calls likes, retweets, followers and shares vanity metrics. I started our chat by asking what he means by that and why we are so hung up on them. So vanity metrics, like you mentioned, are usually simple metrics, impressions, likes, views, shares. Uh, A lot of people get hung up on them mainly because they're really easy to track. Um, Every social media platform, you know, at the very top shows you how many fans or followers or likes you have. And it's just really easy to get that data compared to, you know, more advanced metrics such as customer acquisition rate, lifetime value. Uh, The downside of vanity metrics, though, is it's really difficult to measure the ROI of your activities with them. Um, And they can often provide, you know, not very much tangible value for your business. For example, if you're tracking likes on a post, it's really hard to measure, you know, how like does getting more likes generate more revenue for your company. So overall with vanity metrics, um, I think they still can be helpful, but they need to be combined with other metrics so you can see the overall picture of your social media campaigns. Do you think it's maybe fair to say that social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook, I mean, they were originally made for, you know, just 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 people being social. They, they weren't necessarily thinking uh, businesses will use these to promote their brands and, and to do this. You know, they, I suppose, wanted to just start off by hitting their core audience, which was going to be just uh, a personal platform for people to do. And then as it's grown, then businesses have started to adopt it. So because the platforms are made for personal consumption and, and these, you know, vanity metrics are designed for essentially making us feel better, I suppose. You know, if I get 100 likes on a tweet, then I then I think, oh, I did a good job there. 100 people liked what I had to say. Um, they're not really aiming originally at brands for doing, uh, for using social media. But those metrics have to stay there because the original idea of the platform was was for just personal use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. It, it did start off as just for personal use. So I think with... With metrics, what especially vanity metrics, you can use them for more directional purposes. For example, um, you might find that a Facebook fan might be worth two or three times more than a Twitter follower. So you can you, you can try to measure metrics against platforms and see how it compares there. Or another example is a, a LinkedIn comment might provide more constructive feedback 
and it might be more likely to seen by uh, by others in your network compared to a Twitter reply. So um, overall, I think you can still use vanity metrics um, very lightly, mainly for directional purposes. They'll they'll let you know how a post is going if you're sharing you know motivational quotes versus funny quotes on on your social media maybe you're getting a lot more likes and shares with your motivational quotes so it can give you direction that that's what resonates with your audience and you can try to focus on that a little bit more so it's not that you should actually just disregard these vanity metrics at all that there are good uses for them you know if i had a thousand followers on my business account then then i would see that as being a good thing Mm-hmm. I agree. I I would not totally disregard vanity metrics. Um, the problem is because they're, like we mentioned, they're so easy to measure. I think a lot of businesses spend too much time and emphasis on these metrics, but um, it's good to use them as part of your, your broader social media strategy and also incorporate other metrics into um, your analysis so that you can make sure you're spending your time, money, and resources on the right activities. So I found you, Martin, through a, a recently published article about the seven social media metrics that should really matter to brands. Um, can you give us a brief introduction as to what they are, please? Sure. So in the article, I talk about seven metrics. Um, I'd like to group them into three buckets. So the first bucket is understanding who your followers are. And for this, you can use the demographics and fan base metrics. Um, then you want to find out how are people engaging with your brand and are you speaking properly with them? Is your message resonating? So for, for the, that goal, you can use referrals and bounce rate as your metrics. And finally, you want to see how is your social media growing? Are people signing on? Um, are things improving? So from, for those, for that, you can measure social reach, follower growth and engagement. Um, and those are the, the seven metrics that I talk about in the article. So let's start with reach then, uh, a fairly easy metric to track on Twitter and Facebook using their analytics features. But other than the obvious how many people saw it stats, what else can you your reach analysis tell you? Mm, so reach is really important. And the main thing you can get with reach is it really tells you the potential of your social media account today. If you have a larger reach, then you have a larger chance of acquiring visitor traffic to your website. So um, overall, it's, it's still very important to be growing your reach. As it grows, you have the potential to attract more people. Um, and you know, a few tips that could help you with growing your reach are one, optimizing your social profiles. You can update your logo, write a more clear and compelling description, and even include trackable links in your bio so that people can get redirected to your site. Um, two, you can run tests, you know, see how videos versus images are performing on your Facebook or Twitter. And like I mentioned before, try different styles of, of speaking, whether it's funny or motivational. And a third quick tip is always remember to promote your social media profiles on your websites, blogs, and emails. And as you grow your reach over time, you'll see more visitors and ultimately more revenue coming in for your business. I think that's actually a really good uh, tip there, Martin, because I, I think a lot of brands maybe forget that other than just putting the you know sort of the footnote part of their website, you know their links to their social media pro- profiles. 
they, they could be doing that a lot more and they could be actually putting it and making sure that it's in every article that they publish on their website or even, you know, on every single page. Obviously, you can put those links on your About Me page or, you know, your services page if there's a particular service that you actually provide that, that social media, one of your social media sites maybe actually really resonates well with. Um there's a lot of places that you can actually make sure that you're linking not just from social media back to your website, but also the other way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities on your websites. Um, one tactic there that's really effective is using sticky social media buttons. Uh, for example, if you go on Content Marketing Institute's website, um, as you scroll through the article, the social media buttons will follow you. Um, so they're always visible, they're always top of mind for your readers. And I think if you if you incorporate them where it makes sense, you know, newsletters, blog posts, um, even if you have like a product page on your website, depends on your business, uh, you'll over time get more followers and you'll get more reach. Yeah, it's it's a great thing because obviously reach is such an important metric in in all sort of whether it's a business or whether it's a, a podcast that you're doing or a video that you're doing for you know just your content marketing campaign then you want to know how that you are getting the most from that content and you're reaching as many people as as, as there is possible so that you're then targeting the right amount of people to actually potentially get some leads coming in um, or it might be in my case with a podcast it's just reach as many people as possible and therefore I'll get the most listeners that I possibly can get as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reach is really, I mean, top of the funnel. If you look at social media as an acquisition channel, um, reach is at the very top. The larger your reach, you know, the bigger your funnel is going to be. And I'm sure, you know, with your podcast, um, you you always need to be building your reach. Um, It's great. I'm sure you have a lot of um, already loyal followers, but it'd be even better if, you know, a few months from now, you have 10 times as many followers. So don't forget to include social share icons on your podcast as well. So I've spoken to a number of digital marketers on this podcast, and they all say that brands should be using social media as a way to direct prospects to their website. We kind of already talked about that a little bit there. Um, But bounce rate was another one of your seven metrics that you actually spoke about in your article to look out for. So that's the amount of visits to your site that come from social media links but then that don't stay to consume the actual content on the website. So how can you go about actually lowering your bounce rate? Is it all just about creating quality content or is there more that you can be doing about it? Um, so I think creating quality content is a really good place to start. Um, you know, making sure your posts are compelling and people are clicking through them. Um, the thing with bounce rate though, is if you have a high bounce rate, there's a lot of missed opportunities because these are people that engage with your content on social and they ended up on your website, either on desktop or mobile, but then they left soon after. So I think a few tips that you can use today um, to improve your bounce rate, the biggest one and easiest one to change is one, reduce your page load time. Um, There's a stat that 40% of people will abandon your site if it takes more than three seconds to load. So having a really fast website, ideally two seconds or less to load. Um, if your site is, is longer, that's, that's okay. Uh, you can always create a landing page. Uh, there's a lot of great tools like Unbounce that help you create really fast landing pages and direct traffic to those landing pages so that it can load really quickly and you don't lose people on site load alone. 
Um, another tip you can also use is have a compelling call to action that matches your post. Um, say, for example, you're running a promotion on Facebook. Um, you get 20% off your product. You're, it, once people get to your landing page, they should see the same call to action of 20% off just to make sure you know they ended up in the right place. And I think a third thing is don't forget visually if someone sees your Facebook post and there's a lot of colors, maybe there's people laughing, or maybe it showcases your product, when they end up on your landing page, it's great if they can see similar images so they know they're in the right place and they're, they're seeing the right offer. And I think if you follow these tips, um, you'll definitely see an increase in your, or sorry, a decrease in your bounce rate. So then you can capture more value from your leads. I really like the thought, actually, that there, there, there must be brands and companies out there that are really, I, I suppose, you know, happy, smiley on their social media. And then as soon as you get through to their website, it's just gray and dank and, and, and dark. <laughs> and, and, and you're kind of going, what have I done here? Have I traveled through some kind of uh, ultra dimension and, and ended up in the boring sphere? <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's what I kind of imagine is happening, is that you're kind of going, right, I'll, I'll click on that link on social media. It looks really interesting. The brand looks like it's actually a really, you know, um, has the same values as I do and enjoys uh, you know, the stuff that it does. And then as soon as you get to their website, it's just really bland and very formal and and not actually clickable at all. Yeah, I mean, using your brand colors, um, helping them stand out on both social and, and your website will help improve your conversion rate. Um, but yeah, people are very visual, right? They, we like seeing eye-catching colors. Um, and that's why it's okay to create custom landing pages for your social media, um, your homepage, you know, it might work really well for like, if, if you have a lot of corporate clients, they might like your homepage. Um, but coming from Instagram or Facebook ads, it might not be the best place to direct them. So, um, you can be a little more creative with landing pages. They're usually hidden too. So only people that come from your social media will see them. And I think if you, um, incorporate that into your strategy, you will see your, your bounce rate go down over time. I think that's really interesting that you can make, you know, additional home pages just for, you know, depending on where the, the, the user has actually come from. Um, I, I suppose, though, it's something that's been used in B2C for many, many years. And like with most things in the B2B world, we're only just really slowly catching up. So I, I traditionally come from the B2C space. I think one thing with B2C is... Um, the customer journey is, is much quicker. For example, in e-commerce, um, you might have a visitor land on your website and you have a sale two minutes later. So it's it really gives you more opportunity to test and iterate more quickly. So with things like landing pages, um, there, there's a lot more opportunity to test and learn. I've, I've built a lot of landing pages in the past, um, making really small tweaks like improving my website speed by half a second and your conversion rate goes up by 20%. So with, with B2B, it is a little more tough. Um, you might not get as many visitors and you're, it, it might be harder to attribute or measure the success of, of your one landing page and the overall strategy. But I think if you look at um, B2C or, for example, um, some e-commerce brands, um, a really good example I like is Harry's. Uh, they sell razor blades and they have really, really good landing pages. Sometimes I'll go on Facebook and just check out their ads section 
and look how they're building landing pages. They'll try, you know, five different landing pages for a single ad. And, you know, some one might be a blog style, one might be um, just like a video testimonial. But the more testing you do, the more you'll learn. And overall, over time, that, that learning compounds. So you should see higher performance for your landing pages and your website and your sales. That, that stat that you gave there about, you know, you saw a 20% increase in conversion just for, was it half a second on, on the load time? That, that's, that's incredible. You wouldn't think that you would get that much more of an increase just for what is, you know, quicker than you or I would blink. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it also depends too. Like people, your customers might be coming from North America on a fast Wi-Fi connection, um, but they might not. They might be uh, elsewhere on a 3G or 2G connection. So if it's half a second for us, that can really compound depending on someone's connection. It could be several seconds slower. So I think overall, um, it's really easy to say, yeah, it's just half a second, but it can make a big difference in your strategy, especially if you have a lot of mobile visitors. So make sure, um, invest a little bit of time in, in optimizing your site speed and it'll overall, it should pay you really good dividends. That's amazing. That really is amazing. I didn't really think about it in that way. Is that you know, obviously, with 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 us being in a in a world where we're we're just starting to get five G rolled out here in the UK. I don't know whether you guys have got that over in Canada and America, but um, you know, our websites and and our our internet rather is is so quick now that I I look back to when I was you know sort of a teenager and we had our first internet capable computer in, in, in my mum and dad's house. And of course, there was a dial-up modem that gave you all those beeps and everything and took half an hour to load Google. <laughs> um, you know, the simplest of web pages took forever. And, and now, obviously, it all just happens just like that. And yet there are still obviously going to be places in the world that not necessarily using dial-up, but in some cases they might be. But at the very least, their internet isn't going to be anywhere near as quick as what we've got it in in in, in the uh, in America and 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 in the UK. It's it's crazy to actually sort of sit back and realize it's not all about us. <laughs> there are other people. <laughs> yeah, not everyone has five G yet. So so you mentioned engagement in your group of seven metrics. Um, all marketers obviously love that word, um, and will tell brands to engage with their prospects in order to create relationships with them just like b2c have been doing for many many years what can your engagement rate though martin tell you about your audience do you think i think engagement overall shows how people are interacting with your content and that can give you a lot of insights so for example um, you could test out different types of content whether that's images videos slideshows um, a lot of social platforms like facebook instagram are now doing stories so you can test out a lot of different content and see, are you getting more views with stories versus the newsfeed? Um, another thing engagement can also tell you about the audience is when are they active? Um, are they you know, most active Monday to Friday, nine to five, or maybe they're most active in the morning before they're going to work or after work. So you can use this to your advantage to be scheduling posts at the optimal times during the day. And if those times are not times that you're working, you can also use tools like Buffer or Hootsuite to schedule your posts. And I think the third thing is you can also see how your audience reacts to different types of content. For example, if you run contests, are they responsive to contests? 
Um, do they share and like with a lot of friends or is, is contest not the right um, form of engaging them? Maybe you need to be sharing customer testimonials or reviews. So overall, I think by measuring engagement, I know everyone talks about it, but it can tell you a lot about your audience and using those learnings, you can have more effective social media strategy. I think you can probably almost rely on engagement a bit too much. Like you say there, you know, people are, it's a big buzzword, isn't it, in B2B and, and to go out there and, and really grab the attention of your audience. But uh, of course, you, you could be running the risk of, of just doing the wrong thing and, and putting people off rather than actually turning them onto your product or your service. Um, I think that's actually something that you really need to sort of make sure that you are doing correctly, measuring your engagement and, and seeing how it actually works. And like you say, if people aren't responding to the the things that you're actually putting out there, whether it be competitions or, 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 or testimonials, if they're not engaging back with those content, then you've got to actually be at a point and go, why isn't this working? Is there something else we can do instead? Mm-hmm. I, I agree. With engagement, it's really easy to get focused on it. Um, one thing to note, too, is you might have different customers in as part of your social media profile. So not everyone will engage with your content the same way. I think one way to get around that is to always be testing. Um, if you're testing different strategies, you could see how your engagement changes, say, week over week. Um, one person that does this really well is Gary Vee. He'll constantly be putting out content in new formats um, and, and just different types of content. He started out doing mainly, um, you know, more business advice type content. And now he's found motivational um, posts work, work the best. So, but he, even there, he's always changing his strategy. He's changing his video styles, long form, short form, whether you're running IGTV or you're running stories or you're running videos on YouTube and Twitter. Um, I think by changing up your content, you'll learn a lot about engagement rate. And if you have different audience members within your social, you, you might have different content that resonates with them. So that way you, you can have a, a more encompassing social media strategy that resonates with, with more people. For me, the thing that almost I think businesses and brands need to sort of learn from is their own personal profiles that they use on social media you know we're, we're all actually you know we connect with our friends but we also connect with our peers and they might be people that you've never actually met face to face but because they work in the same industry or in the same sort of sphere as you do you're you're still connecting and meeting new people all the time and there will be bits of content that you put out there personally that will get different interactions from different groups of your followers so if I like put out a, a tweet about my my football team then I'll get the people that are also football fans and followers of my team as well they, they might interact with me over that but I won't get people that are um, you know podcasters necessarily um, coming back to me and, and saying oh yeah good tweet or liking that tweet and retweeting it but the same can be said on the, the vice versa. The football fans won't necessarily retweet, I don't know, the latest Edison research into, you know, podcasting stats. Um, but the podcasters will. I think there's kind of a lot to learn still for brands from just looking at their own personal way of doing things in the first place. 
Yeah, um, even with football itself, I mean, it depends. Is your audience in Europe or are they in the United States? Um, they might think it's something completely different with American football. Uh, but I think it, it is a good point you raise and your audience could change over time. You know, as your business grows, as your podcast grows, you might get different listeners than you had when you started out. Um, one way you can also try and 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 get ahead of that is if you have other competitors in your space, you know, other podcasters or businesses, um, take a look at their social media. What kind of people are following them? Um, what are they reacting to? What are they posting? Um, there's a good chance if if your customers on or sorry, if your competitors have different styles of posts, you know, that could be something to try out. And maybe it's resonating with a different audience you're missing out on. So um, it's always good to be looking around and seeing what others are doing and learning from it. Are there any um, tools that you would champion with regards to digging deep into your social media metrics? So the, there's so many tools out there. Um, if Even if you go on each social media platform, they all have their own tools. And Twitter has Twitter insights. Um, you have Facebook analytics. You have Instagram analytics. Um, I think if like just easily starting out, you can use some of those tools. But uh, one of the most powerful tools, I think, in the market today, and one that's actually free is Google Analytics. Um, it's a really good platform that you likely already have set up on your website, and it, it aggregates data from all your social media channels. So I like to think of Google Analytics really as the heart of your website. Um, by using it more, which I think brands are not using Google Analytics enough. Um, you can get away from things like vanity metrics. So you're not following likes, follows, and shares, but you're seeing how are those um, social actions leading to visitors on your website? How are they affecting your bounce rate or referral traffic? And you can really see the full picture and the full funnel with Google Analytics to see the ROI of your, your social media activities. So. Overall, I think most brands can take more advantage of Google Analytics as long as you have, you know, things like conversion tracking set up, you set up UTM campaigns for your social, and you have your referrals set up properly. There's a gold mine of data in there that you could be utilizing today. So what would be your, your top tips? Just to finish off, Martin, your, your top tips for marketers out there in using social media metrics to make sure that they are reaching their their correct audience and as many people as possible yeah um so i think overall there's a lot of potential with social media um you want to be make sure you're focusing on the right metrics and make sure those metrics tie to real business goals so overall you can use vanity metrics like we mentioned at the beginning but don't focus on them too much um, try to use them as part of a larger picture and give you directional feedback. Um, also be mindful when you're creating your social media campaigns. Think about the vo your voice and how that resonates with your audience. If your audience is segmented in different members, um, try and, and try out different types of content so you can, you can reach out to everybody. And I think what's really important is to always be testing new things. Try different styles of posts, whether it's humor or motivation, image or video, stories or newsfeed. By testing new things and using that data that you collect and uh, either running it through the social media analytics or Google Analytics, you could see what works, what doesn't work, 
And overall, um, the last bit of advice I'd say is, is don't get too comfortable, stay curious, always be testing. And over time, you should see your social media metrics improve. My thanks to Martin Ochwat. You can read the article that was the inspiration for this episode on Content Marketing Institute. The link is in the show notes, along with links to Martin's LinkedIn profile and website. That's all we've got time for on this week's episode of Tech Demand Weekly. Please share the podcast with your friends and peers. And if you have a suggestion for a topic for us to discuss, you can email podcast at tech-demand.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.